Hey, I'm Jake Bennett. And I'm Michael Dorinda. Welcome to episode 12 of the North Meets South web podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We've had a couple of weeks off. There have been... Um, some sleep-ins and some forget forgetfulness and I was away celebrating my wedding anniversary with my wife last week um, so we are now back and hopefully back into a nice rhythm and schedule um, we'll be able to get these things out back on a weekly rotation hopefully uh, so Jake what have what have you been up to the last couple of weeks oh man I have been let's see I think it's I'll go I'll start at the beginning our washer flooded the basement of our house a year ago, about something like that. Pretty horrible. And so it ruined a lot of flooring, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of been a project to get that done and fixed over the last year. So of course, as you start to tear some things apart, you find more and more things that need to be fixed. And so I ended up tearing out the whole bathroom and like redoing our entire master bedroom and redoing a whole bunch of stuff. So anyway, this was kind of like a sprint to the finish these last couple weeks. So I got all the flooring laid. I got new carpet in the master. I got, you know, basically all the finishing stuff. Had to put a bunch of baseboard down and do a bunch of stuff I've never done before. So it was uh, it was a learning experience. But, of course, when you're learning, it always takes longer. So, <laughs> you know, the wife is like, how long is this going to take? That's like my sarcastic answers like always like then about 15 minutes and she knows it's always <laughs> going to take you know, like nine hours so uh it did it took about nine hours and then we've had in-laws in town both weekends um mm-hmm. and family in town not yeah actually it, it's always in-laws just not parent in-laws every week but uh this is the third weekend and where we have company so love having company it just makes life busy you know so i haven't been available yeah. to do this but hey that's okay so life's been good just been busy Nice. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Uh, well, yeah. As I said in the uh, intro, I, my wife and I had our uh, second wedding anniversary last week, so I have made it two years without her ending me. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So we um, we flew over to Sydney, uh, caught up with some friends. We went and saw Aladdin the musical, which was really oh, really. Oh yeah, good. it looked really cool. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of fun there. My wife hasn't has not been to Sydney before. So we went and did the tourist thing. We went and checked out the Harbor. Um, when I saw the opera house and, and she hasn't done a lot of walking probably since our honeymoon. So a couple of years. And after day one where we walked, I think it was about eight kilometers that day where we went out to the, the Harbor bridge from where we were staying. She was pretty, pretty much done. Um, her calves were just on fire for the the, the rest of the time we were away so that was good um, caught up with some friends when I had some some whiskey in, in some secret underground bars oh yeah and, I saw those pictures that looked yeah. pretty interesting too it's really cool if you're ever in Sydney we'll have to we'll have to go for a trip are they literally secret underground bars well it's got it's got a street address but it's not actually on the street it's like down this dingy alley and then down a stairwell and there's no sign on the door or anything so interesting yeah but it was really cool in there it was a good atmosphere the music was good the the bar staff were really like they knew what they were talking about when it came to to their whiskey so they were 
you know, explaining all the different types and giving us suggestions and things like that. Uh, it was really good. That's super cool. Like, I, I love the, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's just like the backlash against corporate anything, you know? It's just so funny yeah. like that, you know, the down home, like, no sign, no, you know, fancy anything. It's just, it's just a, you know, just a door in, a, in an alleyway. That's so yeah. cool. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. That's pretty cool. Um, I was going to say that, uh, yeah, I was going to say that where I went to college uh, up in Wisconsin, I'm trying to think it was in um, Milwaukee. They had a restaurant called The Safe House. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was kind of cool. It was like a spy theme restaurant. But it was similar in that the only way you could get in the restaurant was to go down this alley and there was a red door that said uh, international imports and exports. <laughs> and that's all it said. And you'd go in there and it was just a little room and there was a phone on the wall and there was a bookcase and that was all. That was all that was in there. <laughs> and there was a camera up in the corner. And so if you didn't know what you were doing, you would just walk in and be like, what is this? And you'd walk back out maybe. So you'd have to pick up the phone and the secret word was, we're looking for a safe house. <laughs> and then they would open the bookcase and the bookcase you would, you would come back through and then you'd come into the bar slash restaurant, whatever. And that camera, everybody could see in the restaurant who was in that room. <laughs> um, and so if you picked up the phone and you're like, is this the safe house? They'd be like, um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what you're talking about. You know, they would say like, they'd, they'd pick up the phone and say like international imports and exports. Whatever. So if you wanted to get in the restaurant and you didn't know the passcode, they would make you do something funny, like do the chicken dance with your whole group or whatever. And everybody in the restaurant can see you. Of course, you don't know this until you walk in and everybody's laughing at you. And then you see on the screens or on the bar, they have this camera pointing at the room. Anyway, it was, it's, it's pretty fun. The food is decent, but, uh, you know, there's all these like 007 and, and spy movie posters all on the inside and cool stuff like uh, a secret escape route out of the out of the restaurant that you can take when you leave and it's it's cool anyway it was a lot of fun but it sounds a little bit similar to what you you guys went to but yeah without without any secret codes yeah no secret codes and and i don't think this place had whiskey either maybe they did i don't know they didn't have a bar so maybe they didn't have whiskey i'm sure they did (laughs) well i think that we wanted to start we've got a couple things to talk about today actually related to code and laravel um why don't we go ahead and start out with the ones that we have a, a little bit of experience with? I think we're going to talk about a few things that we might be a little bit more unfamiliar with later in the show, such as Yarn, Spark 2.0.8 released. But why don't we get started with something like the recent updates to Laravel? So we are now up to what, 5.3.18? Yep. Yeah. So has there been any improvements that you've noted kind of in the last three minor version changes that? have either caused you any headaches or made you jump for joy and had you like going to composer update immediately um sadly we we got sucked into the the lts um thing at work so Uh, i don't really get a lot of chance to play with the latest and greatest but i think we're kind of going to move away from lts and sort of just keep on top of updates with future projects so that'll be nice um, but I, I still keep on top of it, partly because we need to talk about it on the podcast on occasion and partly because I just like keeping up to date with what's happening with Laravel. Probably the the coolest thing that I saw in the last sort of week or two was Taylor's announcement or Taylor's tweet about the new validation syntax that he was thinking about bringing into the framework. So currently, if you're doing a validation, you have an array of rules and then the rules is basically a string that's joined together by 
a combination of like pipes and colons and commas and things like that, which compared to the rest of the framework, it's very unlaravel. So the new the new syntax that was proposed and and looks like has been put in, uh, at least the foundation of that has been put in in five point three point eighteen, is essentially a, a fluid syntax where you could define on a rule facade basically uh, a rule rule unique and then the name of the field and then you can do some things around passing in you know, aware and then it's giving that a callback on how to determine whether or not that that should validate as true and exists i think was the other one that's coming in mm-hmm. so pretty excited about that i think the idea is that that's going to work the same as it currently does behind the scenes so it's still going to generate those validation strings but just just the syntax of using you know a fluid interface is much more consistent with the rest of the framework which i think a lot of it is going that way now there's a lot of consistencies in the way that things are done across the board so i was pretty excited to see that the only other thing that i got while i was away last week someone submitted a pull request well they opened an issue on one of on the nullable fields package saying that there was a change to the way that Eloquent handles one of its methods and I had to find that as an abstract function in the package just so that it was forcing anyone using that package to actually have that method implemented. And because the signature had changed, that broke the package for that version of Laravel. And I I messaged the, the person that submitted it and I said, look, I'm away at the moment, but if you could submit a pull request, I'll review it when I get back. And by the time I got back home, he'd... They, well, that, that person had um, basically closed the, closed the issue and said, oh, this has been reverted in 5.3.18, so don't worry about it. So if anyone is using the Nullable Fields package with 5.3.17 and you're having issues, just upgrade to, to 18 and you'll be fine. Hopefully that won't be an issue, you know, being that it's just a minor version. Hopefully mm-hmm. anybody that, it seems like a kind of rare occurrence. And if it is broken, all they have to do is a composer update and should fix it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully you don't have to deal with that too much. Kind of going back to the validator. Yeah, you know, honestly, you know, one thing that you had said a minute ago was you said, you know, it was like a very non-Laravel way to do it with the um, unique and exists rules. And I would agree that like the, the difficult part with unique and exists, uh, and for those of you who maybe aren't familiar and haven't used those before, let's imagine that you are wanting to allow a user to update a username. Well, you want the username that they're putting in to be unique. Of course. So you, you, you don't want two people with the same username in your database. So typically you'd put maybe on that username field, you would say, okay, username, and then you'd put arrow syntax because you kind of use this uh, array syntax to, to define your rules. So you'd say uh, username arrow, and then you'd say required, and then you'd say pipe unique. The only problem is when you go to save that, when, and when you're first saving that, and there's nothing in the database for this user, no problem. But when you're going to update a username, what happens is if you don't put additional rules on that unique, it's gonna, and they don't change their username. So I'm saying Jacob Bennett and I, and I submit the form and Jacob Bennett is still in there. It's gonna complain and say, nope, this isn't a unique username. So what you wanna do is you wanna say, hey, I want this username to be unique for anything except for their current record. So it can still be Jacob Bennett, that's fine. But you have to specify that somewhere. So the way that you did that before was always kind of a little bit janky if you will you'd have to do like unique Mm. and then colon users comma username comma id comma and then the id of the user or something and it's just and a lot of times you'd have to do like string concatenation or interpolation or 
however you wanted to pass in that user ID, but it was is just always a little bit, it seemed odd, right? Yeah. Non-Laravel-ish, like you said. Yeah, so I think the new way that he's doing it basically allows you to have a little bit more complex rules in a little more familiar syntax. And like you said too, like you said, this kind of opens the doors for future, lays the groundwork for future complex rules that we'll be able to handle in a more sane way, you know? So yeah, I'm excited about that too. I think that looks really good. And and hopefully I will be able to remember this and won't have to look up the documentation for it every time. So mm. that would be a huge win. It will be great. Yeah. I know the other thing that was introduced and I saw on Twitter uh, recently is model factory states. Did you get a chance to look at that at all? I had a, I had a brief look over it. I've got a rough idea of what it is. Yeah. So essentially you can create in your model factory. So in your tests, you may want to create a instance of an eloquent model, but you don't want to have to, in your test, specify every single one of the attributes that it needs. So in your model factory, you can specify all those. And then in your tests, you just call factory and then you pass in the class and you can either call make to just return an in-memory instance, or you can call create to actually persist it to the database. Super handy. You can actually even define multiple types so you can say this is one for when this is the case. Uh, use this name for that. Here's another one for when this is the case. Use this name for that. But the, the newest thing basically allows you to only modify a single attribute or a few attributes based on what the state of that model would be. So let's say, for example, I have a job that is to be done, a to-do item or something, right? And in my model factories, I want to have just a regular to-do item that's not completed, but... I want to also have one that's completed. Well, I don't want to have to write an entirely new model factory for the completed one since it's literally only one attribute that's going to change, the completed at attribute. So you just create a new model factory state and mm -hmm. change the completed at flag to be whatever you want it to be. And then when you're making your model factory, you just say, um, you know, factory, the class name, states, completed, create. And then the states actually stack as well. So you could say like completed and let's say it needed approval by like a manager. You could say completed and approved. And those would stack those states together. So you could use them independently or you could use them separately. But it makes a really nice way for you to um, easily change small pieces of that model factory without having to redefine the entire thing. So that's pretty cool. I've actually used it this week already. Uh, I had to update Laravel just to get that little feature. <laughs> but uh, yeah, totally worth it. It's pretty awesome. Excellent. Yeah, maybe I was just looking for an excuse to use it. I think that was probably the case. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a perfect spot for that. <laughs> you create create the scenario to use it, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yep. Excellent. What else we've got? Well, we've got, um, we've got Forge improvements that have kind of been on radar here. Taylor hired his first employee, you know, about probably a month ago now. Yeah, about that. Yeah, Mohammed Saeed. So they've been working together, I know, on some Forge stuff. And if you follow the... Um, Laravel account on Twitter. Um, you've probably seen some of those things. Have you seen anything, Michael, that's kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, th there have been a few things, and it's 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 great now that Taylor sort of has an offsider and and can sort of delegate the day to day looking after of bits and pieces to to Muhammad, so that he can work on these things that, as one person, as as you know, the Laravel Empire has kind of grown. Um, it gets hard to do all things at all the time. So it's nice that Forge is getting a bit of love now. So probably 
being able to manage MySQL databases is is great. You don't have to. I mean, it it wasn't difficult for most people. I guess you would just fire up SQL Pro or whatever, and you'd go in and manage it that way. But being able to do it directly within Forge because you'd probably already have that open, especially if you've just created a new server, makes things a lot easier. One that that I haven't used myself too much was around changing Git origins. So if you were moving ah, yes, from I saw that. GitHub to GitLab or whatever, um, previously you'd have to destroy the whole project and, and recreate it with a new origin or do it manually on the server. So that was a nice one. So like for instance, you would use that maybe if you were switching from GitHub to say GitLab mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Which actually happened to you guys before, right? You've switched yeah. from a lot of your products from GitHub to GitLab. So I can't imagine how big of a pain that would have had to be for somebody who was making that decision or, you know, it would almost prevent you from making that decision if you knew you had to go and destroy all your boxes and re, mm. you know, redo that, set up all your cron jobs and, and all your scheduled tasks and stuff again. So yeah, no, I think that's a great, that's a great improvement. What else was there? Did you see anything else? The, the load balance option came in a little while ago where you can sort of provision two web web machines and then provision another one as a load balancer um, which was all automated through digital o- ocean previously now there's the option to do that using a custom vps provider so if you want to use you know linode or aws or your own in-house server like like you guys do that be- that's now much easier to do that which is really cool and so a load balancer just to be clear here basically a load balancer does that just sit in front and accept the traffic and then essentially just decide which one of the servers it sends it to yep in this little yep. cluster that you have cool yeah so it'll it'll handle you know load distribution between the two hosts or you can you can sort of do it as an active passive setup where you would send all traffic to one server all the time unless that server goes down and it will automatically handle switching over to the other Okay. Or then, yeah, you've got the active-active, which is, you know, send one to the first server, one to the second server. And then the load balancer is responsible for managing you as a visitor and making sure that you always go back to the same one. Ah, there you go. Yep, that's a good point because otherwise, you know, if you have a session on one machine and it switches you to the other machine, Mm. good luck with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you'd probably look at using something like Memcached or Redis or or even database, even just to store the session data so that you've got persistence across multiple servers. Yeah, unless you're also using a cluster for your database, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. At that scale, you probably have someone who knows what they're doing, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you've got somebody like Chris Fidel on your team. Yeah, you don't need us, us guys on the podcast who uh, have no idea about most DevOps stuff. That's right. <laughs> yeah. One more for me, um, and it was just uh, probably in the last two or three days that this was added was... GitLab integration. So when you were setting up a project previously, you could or a, a site previously, you could use GitHub or you could specify a custom provider. And I was setting up a GitLab site last week actually, and I was sitting there and you look at the example and then you click on custom and then I'm I'm putting in my username and my Git repo on GitLab. And sitting there and it's spinning and spinning and spinning. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. What's happening here? And it took me probably about longer than I care to to mention <laughs> that I actually <laughs> had to put the full, you know, git at gitlab.com colon username slash repo dot git in there. And miraculously, when I did that, it just worked straight away. So that will no longer be an issue. There's now a nice little uh, radio button in the site's interface so that you can just choose GitLab um, and go there. Which is great, um, again, because heaps of people are now 
I think looking at or or maybe taking GitLab a bit more seriously with with the push they've been making in the last six months or so. So yeah, that's that's really handy for me, especially for some of the side project stuff that I do um, and some of the freelance work that I do. I don't don't pay for private repositories on GitHub. I just throw them all up on GitLab. So that's really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool that like he's taking the time to add in all these little conveniences that you know, in the at the end of the day, don't really increase like his bottom line necessarily Mm -hmm. it's just you know these are things that users have requested and and so he's basically spending his own money to implement these now which is really cool i mean i'm sure at the end of the day right you know maybe this is getting a few more people on but really this is probably just to serve his existing customers these are requests he's gotten from his existing customers i don't know that anybody's going to be like oh wow forge now supports GitLab. okay maybe i'll get on it now i don't maybe i don't know maybe that's not true yeah maybe that's exactly the case but I don't know. I also saw that uh, he, you can now provision a box with 7.1, PHP 7.1. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I should look at, I know I've, I've looked at the kind of the spec sheet for 7.1 and seen a couple of cool things on there as well. Uh, we won't, I, I don't know. You can look that up. Yeah, there's a, there's a Twitter bot that, that just posts these things. Yeah, what is the name of that Twitter bot? I've seen it. It's, uh, tell me, Michael. You PHP you- RFC bot. Did you build that? You built that, didn't I you? I did build that. Yeah, it was it was an exercise. A friend of mine um, from work, uh, Bradley. He um, he built just a generic RFC bot. So his his looks at the IETF, you know, the main like the big RFCs for how the internet works and all that sort of stuff. And I <laughs> I laugh. You, you, you all can't see it, but Jake is <laughs> sitting at a standing desk so that his microphone is sort of at his face level. And so That's he's ridiculous. He's sort of like evil genius typing small hands in the air. It looks <laughs> kind of funny. That's <laughs> oh, ridiculous. I've got I've got a little tiny Apple keyboard and it is about at my mouth. Yeah, and I've got to right. put my hands up up here, all the way up here, you can imagine. <laughs> Just put your hands up at your chin and try and type. That's what I look like right now. So Michael's laughing at me. PHP yeah. RFC bot. Got it. I'm not, oh, I'm already following you. Sorry. Got it. Yeah, so that was just an exercise in sort of parsing the RFC wiki and keeping track of state changes between new RFCs and RFCs that are going from in-draft to, to voting and whatever else. And it that was also a chance to play around with Docker a little bit. So that sits in a Docker container on one of one of my computers at home and just does its thing, which is nice. It was also an exercise in keeping up to date with, with PHP release changes. That's cool. Yeah, it can be hard to do. Um, I see, you know, I suppose not that hard to do. I think it's really maybe something I've only started paying attention to in the last, I don't know, half a year. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I, I didn't control really what version we were on, my, my boss did. And so he knew the stuff that was kind of going on with that. And he's more concerned about the security side of it than anything. So if there's ever any like bugs or anything like that, you know, we're immediately updating. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I haven't taken the time to like, you know, in the past, I haven't taken the time to look at like, what are the new features that I want to be using? So now I do. Now I do. Why don't we move on to talk about what the entire JavaScript community wants to be talking about? JavaScript package managers. So for those of you in PHP land who are listening to this, who are not familiar with the world of JavaScript package managers, the current champion and king of JavaScript package managers is Node, um, yeah, NPM, right? Node package yeah. management, Node package manager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's been the most longstanding, you know, package manager of Node. I think even maybe at the beginning there was a couple other ones. Um, 
you know, we think about Bower as well. I don't know if you'd consider that a JavaScript package manager. It does run on Node, but it's it could it just you know it was for everything. But I guess npm is for everything as well now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Facebook came out with a new package manager called Yarn this last week, and I have to say, first impressions are that it's pretty dang cool. Michael, what do you think of it? Uh, yep, yep. It got it got like a two minute build for me down to. 35 seconds a fresh a fresh node modules less build oh and seriously so the first time i ran it yeah it went from two minutes to, to 38 seconds or something like that's that. that's insane and then subsequent installs were about eight seconds so that's great so you just literally nuked the node modules mm-hmm. directory just to get out of here and then you ran yarn yep and there it went in 30 seconds that's incredible yeah i i ran it on an existing project of mine and you know, it's always it always feels a little bit scary when you do that with npm. Like when you wipe out your node modules and you're like, okay, npm install. Cross my fingers, hold my breath, pray to God that this still works when it's done installing. Right? Mm-hmm. You get all the error warning messages, and they get to the bottom. You're like, did it work? Yeah. Hopefully it worked. Let me run gulp here. Oh, it worked. Okay, it worked. Great. Whew. All right. But when you when I ran yarn, it was just like, yep, worked first try, no problem at all. And oh man. If they could, I mean, if this if this is the solution that figures that out, because I've never gone back to a project like six months later and ran npm install and been like, yeah, it just works. It's never happened. Never happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm probably overstating that. It's probably happened before, but it seems like that npm has caused a lot of problems for me in the past. One of the things that they talked about that is kind of solved in this is that they create a lock file for the package manager. So what that essentially does is it goes and grabs all of the versions of the packages that you are using, the, the latest packages, I suppose, and then stores those all in a lock file, and then you can commit that to your repository. And then all of your teammates, when they come to install those, they run Yarn. And that lock file essentially guarantees that everybody on the team that is using that lock file that has installed it using Yarn will have the exact same node modules set up which wasn't always the case in the past with NPM. You guys could have, there was no lock file. So you, you could have you run NPM install, and then you could have your, your friend run NPM install. And depending in, uh, on the order in which those dependencies were installed, the node modules folder could mm-hmm. be different for the two of you, which caused, and I'm sure you've seen this before, it's happened to me, these, it works for me, errors, yeah. right? Well, this works for me. I don't, know, I don't know what's wrong with your computer. It's working fine for me. Good luck trouble fixing that or, or yeah. you know, oh my gosh. I'm sorry if I'm being too like overly, I don't know what, emphatic about this, but I yeah. just, I feel like I've had so many issues with installing stuff with NPM that it, this is just a welcome change, I suppose. Yeah. And and of course I've used it one time, right? So, <laughs> and, and it was on a, pa- a project that's like a current and whatever. So I can't sing its praises just yet, but it's pretty cool. I hold I hold out a lot of hope for it. We've got some yeah. really smart engineers behind this one. I'm sure that's the, the case for NPM as well. But got some big yeah. players in here that are invested in keeping this going and and having it work well. And and you know they're coming from environments that are pretty complex, so they've got some big problems to solve. So I think they're maybe looking at this in a different perspective from the people who maybe courage, uh, originally created NPM or coming at it from. Yeah, I was talking about it with with someone the other day and. It it was it was strange that the lock file was never there to begin with because npm I, I had to go back and look it up because a lot of it predates my exposure to this this world of development this part of development and rake which was the which is the ruby build tool okay rake had a lock file 
which and and that'd been around for a few years before npm so npm came out and and did this this crazy thing and then composer came out and composer had a lock file and i don't know i think it's it's weird um i was talking to someone else about it who who is a a back-end developer converted to front-end and he was saying that having the ability to have different versions of the same dependency in a single project can be good because of lagging dependencies so you could have two two packages that both depend on the same child they both mm-hmm. have the same dependency but one of them has been updated to a later version and the other one hasn't yet so you can have you know like a 1.5 and a 1.5 six or 2.0 in the same sort of directory structure i don't know necessarily why you might do that in sort of an actual project if you're playing around with you know if you wanted to play around with a different version of that dependency you may do it you know in a feature branch or you you know you wouldn't want them both sitting there side by side necessarily but yeah like yourself i've only done this on one project it seemed to work well. One of the other guys in the team did it on one of their projects and it seemed to work pretty well for them. I've seen, you know, Freik has said Spade is switching out everything to Yarn. Uh, Taylor said that he's added it to the, you know, the Laravel installer to to basically generate the Yarn lock file when you do a, a Laravel new. So there's certainly a big uptake in it in the short term from like that small community not small but that that small group of people that i know with know and deal with on a regular basis obviously google and facebook and a couple of the other companies that are using it are quite large and they've been working on it for a long time so that i think they put in a lot like a lot of effort into making sure that it is just a drop-in replacement for npm so you don't have mm-hmm. to do anything. It it just works as is. And I don't think that, that, you know, I mean, that's a bit understated, but I think there's a lot of work that's gone into that. And I think there's been a blog post or a tweet from one of the core contributors for NPM and has said, look, we'd love to do what Yarn did, but it would have essentially required a complete rewrite. So, and, you know, a change in thinking in the way that NPM works. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next version of NPM if they take any of the learnings from Yarn and sort of apply it to npm but i I mean i don't think there's any reason why both of them can't coexist especially if you're going to be if if you are looking at lagging dependencies like like i was saying earlier maybe that's something that you just keep using npm for i don't know it's i mean it's not something that i would do personally but you know there there may be some use for it out there yeah i think the kind of parallel that you could make there is you know npm is like packagist and then yarn is like composer Right, so there's no need for the package management site slash repository to also be the installer. So I'm wondering if the NPM team will look at this and be like, you know, these big players are very invested in keeping this going and improving it and whatever, and we're not really going to be able to compete. So maybe we'll just stick with what we're good at and let you know, letting authors list their packages here and and whatnot. Obviously, you know, Yarn and uh, Yarn is going to be really tied to NPM. And I think in wisdom, they recognize that they would probably have a really difficult time getting user adoption if they didn't make it extremely easy to take an old project and, and put it onto Yarn. So yeah, yeah. so I, I think that's good. When it first came, I was like, oh, great. Another package manager. What is going on with this? And then it was like, no, 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 wait, it works with NPM. Everything's still, you just, it's just an installer. I was like, oh, okay. 
And I think, too, there's a good timing because there's been, I mean, there's been a lot of grumblings about NPM recently anyway. And so I think people, when they saw like, oh, new package manager, oh, it's by Facebook. Yeah, this sounds like something I would like to try. And so I think that's probably why you saw a huge jump in a bunch of people talking about it and a bunch of people trying it out and the fact that it's so stinking easy. It was like yeah. NPM install global yarn and then you go into a project that has a package.json, run yarn and you're done. You've got a yeah. yarn.lock file and that's it. So yeah, pretty cool. Well, we are we are about out of time here. I think we're maybe even a little bit over. You have anything you uh, want to talk about before we head out here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had planned to talk about this two weeks ago, so we are we're about two weeks through already. But anyone that is looking to make contributions to open source, whether it's your first one or if you are looking to update some documentation somewhere, you know, if you don't don't know how to get a foot in the door during the month of October, DigitalOcean and GitHub are running Hacktoberfest. So essentially what this is, if you go to the website and we'll put, put the link in the show notes, you essentially register with Hacktoberfest and then you make four pull requests across any repository, uh, any open source repository. So no cheating and, and making sort of contributions to your own private repositories and, and you'll get a Hacktoberfest t-shirt. So I think it's a good way to sort of drive the community and get, get more people involved it's super easy to find projects or, or issues and things like that that the different projects have flagged as being good for Hacktoberfest. Um, you could just look for the Hacktoberfest label across GitHub. Laravel is actually listed as one of the featured PHP Hacktoberfest projects. So there's a few few tickets kicking around in there that you can look at, which will be cool. That's pretty neat. So it doesn't have to be an approved repo. It could just be like anything. Can yeah. you pick any repository? Cool. I mean, that's that's my understanding of it. There doesn't seem to be any clarification. And I don't even think the pull request has to be accepted or merged or anything like that. It's just the action of making the pull request itself. That's pretty as cool. As far as I can tell. All right. You better get ready for some pull requests, man. They're coming your way. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to put in some pull requests for your packages. Do it. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Well, hey, thanks for taking some time to talk. It's been good catching up after uh, a whole two weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's it for this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 12. You can find us on Twitter at NorthSouthAudio. Ask us any questions you have for future episodes or get at us there. And then, of course, if you like the show, feel free to rate us up in your pod catcher of choice. Thanks, Michael. It's been really fun catching up with you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jake. Talk to you next week. I'm in. Bye. See ya. Ooh, should we switch it up? Sure. What do you want to do? Hey, hey, I'm Jake Bennett. And I'm Michael Dorinda. And welcome to episode 12 of the North Meets South web podcast. And you have to say web podcast like weird and disjointed like you forget to say it like I do every time. <laughs> do you forget to say it every time? I, I think I do. A friend of mine <laughs> points it out every, every time there's a new episode. He's like, uh, ah, North Meets South web podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Now, welcome to the North Meets South web podcast. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All right. I, I'm not going to do that probably.